Welcome to the Highway Church Podcast. We're excited for you to join us today. To find out more about us, visit highway.com.au. It's uh, super good to be here, it really is. Uh, nice to be back on the coast after four wonderful years down in Tassie. All I can say on top of that is it was a good time, but it's good to be back on the coast. The weather's just a tad warmer, but uh, it's... It is good. It's, it's a good thing, actually, to know that what you are doing is uh, what you're meant to be doing. And um, so it's, it's part of the reason why we're here this morning. I just want to thank you for being incredible supporters to your pastors. And it's good to understand that, actually, as you honour them, which I know you do, and this is not so much of a, um, you should be more honouring. This is more about, thank you for being so honouring the way you have, because something happens, and I had a picture um, very clearly in my mind, you know, Moses, when he was on the mountain, and Aaron and her were either side, and they held up his arms, they were facing a battle, actually, but it was the, the fact that they held up his arms in that, but here's what happened, because a lot of people think it's just about benefiting, um, you know, the senior leaders, uh, which it does, but it actually had a corporate effect, this, this had everything to do with uh, the, the corporate gathering. Now I'm speaking to you as you lift up one another's arms and encourage one another, especially, you know, with your leaders, but those around you as well. As you do that, there's actually a corporate victory that happens. God loves it. He sees it and he loves it. It actually requires less effort. God could have said, okay, you need to fight harder. You need more weapons, but he didn't. He said, just lift up the arms of those around you. As you do that, it's like more about God than it is about us. He steps in and there was victory. But here's the great thing as well. And I know this is not why you lift up other people's arms, but you benefit immensely. So there's a personal victory that you become a part of. And so, again, on behalf of Pastor Byron and Anne, we love those guys and we just want to um, thank you for just being pretty awesome. Turn to your neighbour and say, wow, you're awesome, way more than I thought. Way more than I thought. I want to speak uh, this morning um, on maybe an unusual topic, but here, here we go anyway. Uh, I've entitled this, Who Would Have Thought? Who Would Have Thought? This sort of started a few years back, and it began as a bit of a joke, but we found that as we look over our life, and particularly this last sort of few seasons, there's been a lot of who would have thought moments, um, some of them big moments. And it's, um, it's this whole concept, I guess you could entitled this Unexpected Expectations, which sounds like a bit of a contradiction, but we're called to expect things, aren't we? Um, So you don't want to throw your expectation away because you've faced a few difficulties. Some people do that. You know, I'm going to preserve, I'm going to guard myself against disappointment. So I'll just lower my expectation. There's a difference between lowering your expectation and just being and developing realistic expectation. Too different, but, um, but this is a big deal in, in our world. It's a big deal in, in the Scripture. I think it's a big deal for us, what you're expecting. But often, things don't go the way you expect it. So it's not so much a problem with expectation, but sometimes it's the way it outworks. You could call this embracing, if you're really into writing headings of sermons, um, I'm just giving you about 10, um, <laughs> But you could call this embracing. How do you embrace the unexpected? Some people hate the unexpected. Uh, Some people hate that. You know, talking about surprises, some people 
don't like surprises. I'm going to use my wife as an example here because she's a surprise guru. Um, but here is the one condition as long as she organizes it. But I think there's a little bit of that in all of us when it comes to God. God, I so want you to move, and this is how I'd like you to do it. And this is the time frame. And we can justify it. Isn't it amazing how you can justify anything with a Bible verse? Uh, you can justify anything, you know. Um, you could call this dealing with the expectation gap. And so here's, here's the, the, the issue with us. Um, I'm speaking for you. Is that all right? I know this only affects one or two of us this morning. But so when it comes to hearing and just walking with God and we develop expectations because that's part of faith. Isn't that right? Faith is actually the expectation of things hoped for. So, so don't damage your faith. Don't throw your faith away thinking that you're protecting yourself. You need your faith. And with faith comes, you can't have one without the other. They come hand in hand. Faith is the expectation of things hoped for. But it's when things go a little bit skew if, go a little bit different to the way we thought, there lies the gap between what God said and between our version of how it should have unfolded. There lies the gap. Some people get really disappointed in that gap. We've lost friends along the way, literally people in ministry who got so disappointed in the fact, you know, God gave me this vision, but it just didn't happen the way I thought, and out of church and even away from God. And that sort of scares us, you know. I just think, I don't want to be, and it's not a judgment, you know, but I, I just don't want to be a casualty and get so cranky at God. Now, I know I'm saying some things that you think, no, that is so not me, you know. But deep down, some people do get cranky at God. But it's amazing, we still turn up to church. We still sing, you are so good, God. (laughs) But if my thoughts were shown on the screen right now, I'm actually quite cranky with you. You are good, I know that. But why did this have to happen that way? And so... This expectation gap is a big one. So can I ask you a question? Good, I'm glad you said yes. How do you deal with curved balls that happen in life? How do you cope when things just go a little bit different? And obviously, the longer you live, the 20s were awesome. A lot of things happened just the way I thought, and so I figured that's the way it's going to be for the rest of my life. Hit your 30s. Isn't 30s a great age? You know everything. I knew everything when I was 30, 40s hit. Now you're starting to see a few things that uh, just start to go a little bit different. But isn't it amazing? Your faith can actually go, grow stronger, but your understanding of God goes deeper. And that requires certain qualities. Otherwise, again, you're going to get really disappointed at the way God does certain things. So how do we deal with curveballs? The world, as we know, is filled with a lot of what if uh, or, or who would have thought moments I don't know whether you saw last night or whether you recorded it and you don't want to know the score. I'm going to totally ruin that for you. But Ash Barty won the French Open. Who would have thought? I guess, and I love her spirit because uh, we all call her our girl now. Had she got knocked out in the first round, who? Ash Barty. But she's our girl, you know. And uh, who would have thought that, that Scott Morrison would have got in with the libs? At the last, now politics aside for a tick, if you can, for a tick, but even he was surprised. The experts were surprised. I turned the program off 
you know, as you do, you sit down all day long and, and watch it, even though people say, oh, I hate politics, but I'm going to watch every minute of it. And so we watched all the way through. I turned it off after a couple of hours. I said, they've lost, they're out. And, uh, and, and the real bottom line issue here is God had a plan. He had a, and again, for, forget about who you voted for and who you wished, but let's just think about God does a point. And sometimes it goes contrary to even the experts and the trends. And he himself, along with many others, said, who would have thought he called it a miracle? And I think that's the great thing about a who would have thought moment. There's always a miracle that's usually attached. And we don't want to miss out on, on that, that miracle. I mean, we could list all the world events. Um, but, you know, even throughout the Word of God, through the Bible, it's filled with who would have thought moments. It's filled with who would have thought um, principles. Who would have thought that God would use people just like you and me? Serious. Like, I know you're awesome, but are you that awesome? You know, I know I'm okay, but really? You know, who would have thought that God would... But right, you read the, the, the word itself, you know, right back to people like Jacob, who was an outright deceiver, by the way. And God says, I'm going to use you. Do you love this or does it mess with your head that God would choose people that you would reject yeah. or you definitely wouldn't use? You would say, bad choice, God. There's something wrong here. What about people like Gideon? I call him Mr. Insecurity. I think we can all relate to him a little bit. Turn to your neighbour right now and say, I don't think you're that insecure, are you? <laughs> I think a few insecurities just rose to the surface right there. Gideon, he was, he was Mr. Insecure. He battled severely. God says, excellent, I'm going to use you. And I'm going to do incredible things through you. The list goes on and on. David, we all think David is awesome. But, you know, the, the fact that he was an adulterer and a murderer, they're just the things we know about. And God says, I love your heart. Is that what you would have said if that was your kid? <laughs> I know you murdered and I know you, but I love your heart. God has all these who would have thought when it comes to even using you and I. Rahab the harlot, God saw something in her. And I love this because it doesn't matter what you've been through, where you've been at, or what you think sort of qualifies people or yourself, God actually sees you very differently. He evidently and obviously is looking from a different paradigm. He's looking from a different lens. So when he sees you, he doesn't see you as you are. He sees you according to what he has done for you. And this is a lifetime journey in discovering how he sees us. I love the story of Abraham and Sarah because that was a, that was a big one. You know, we've approached our mature years now. Lynn's a long way behind me, three and a half years only. But I hit 60 last year. She said, I'm a long way behind you. It's a, she says four. It's actually closer to three and a half. But anyway, that's a, I'll be nice because she's going to sing for you in a little bit. Is that right? Unless you prefer me to sing and I can't sing. But I think you'd prefer to have her. But I think there's, uh, there's going to be something in, in that, that message. But Abraham and Sarah were older than us. And here he is, age 75, and you may be familiar with the story, and God gives him a promise. In fact, it was almost, it was almost and, and we can learn from this, it was almost, uh, you would think it was a tease, like Abraham walked out, wanted you to look at the stars. 
if you can count them. And he looks up, he says, I obviously can't count them. He says, well, so are your descendants. Your offspring is going to be just like that. Everything that, if you think, you can, that so is your offspring. Now, keep in mind, Sarah, his wife, was barren. She's 65, he's 75. They get this promise. But here lies a big problem. Because if that was me, I would have been thinking, excellent. We're going to have a mass of kids, which I'm not sure that that's excellent, actually, to be honest. Not at the age of 75. But you would be thinking, God, okay, your time frame again is is not that good. You know, you could have said this earlier, you know, when we actually, you know, had a little bit more energy and, uh, and the ability to have children. But isn't it amazing? God just doesn't work the way we think. And, um, and so here they are, 75, and so if it was me, if I was Abraham, I would have said, excellent, darling, we need lots more tents because we're going to have oodles of kids, all right? So get ready. There's going to be a lot of fun. We need to really start planning some dinners, okay? This, it's time to, okay, it's time to celebrate, all right? We've got a promise. Well, you may know the story, one year passes, two years pass, three years, 25 years pass. If that was me, I'd be a tad discouraged or at worst disillusioned, disappointed. God, this has not worked out the way you said. But here's the challenge. We often add our interpretation onto what God says. So he did say. So again, faith is the expectation. Don't throw your faith away. I never want to be disappointed again, so I'm going to stop believing so hard. In fact, I'll stop believing altogether. And people stop believing in people. They stop believing in God and stop believing in themselves. But here is, here is Abraham and Sarah. And so it, it's, the conundrum probably can be highlighted in that scripture I just said, Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is an expectation. So we get that. We understand that. We need to expect. But in 1 Peter, there's an amazing scripture. He talks about here, Peter, he says, do not be surprised when testings or trials come into your life. So hang on, I'm, I wasn't expecting that, that part. But don't be surprised, Peter says. This is God speaking over both. Don't be surprised as if something strange were happening to you. Therefore rejoice and even be glad, right? So when things don't go your way, there's God's solution. Be glad. I wonder how you go. I wonder how we go when things don't go the way we thought. Because we really, and I think there is a problem when we start to add on what God left out in a lot of promises. Sometimes they're very specific when he does speak. Sometimes it can be just a brief word. You know, we um, left Sydney some back in 1994, way before all of you were born, um, most of you. And... um, it was a specific word. It was, you know, I was a school teacher back then. The kids were all tiny, and, um, and we just felt a God thing. Both of us, we, we knew God was calling us out of what we were doing, away from our homeland, that's where we grew up, and up to Tweed Heads. It was that specific. We, there, were prof- there was all kinds of things that we knew. There was a clear vision about the whole uh, direction right word word for word I had things written out and I thought this is amazing this is awesome I'm in my 30s and it was all so simple so we eventually did find our way up to Tweed after six months it was a, a delay but it was quite supernatural the way it all happened 
just more recently, and a lot's happened in between, but more recently, we ended up going to Tassie, as we, we mentioned, for four years. Now, the word to go down there was totally different. But it's amazing how we can sort of put on what God didn't really say. So not that we did anything wrong, but when we went down, we thought, oh, we're good at this. We've done this before. We've taken on a church before, haven't we? So it's going to be similar. People are people, isn't that right? You know, places are places. You know, it's Tassie. It's just a tad colder than the Gold Coast. But apart from that, it's all going to be much the same. And so we went down there and we went into normal pastoring mode. Okay, we're going to get some connect groups and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And so we went with the mindset of what we had done in the past, which wasn't wrong. How many of you agree? It wasn't that wrong, was it? You're a pastor, you want to build. The problem was God only dropped one word into my heart, and it was a bit of an unusual word. And it was simply this. I never said this would be easy, but it will be fruitful. And you've got to be kidding. That's the most vague kind of word you could get. So all the other stuff that I put on top of it actually was not what God said. And it's not that we did anything wrong, but we had to adjust our thinking and realize, actually, this requires a different... There's different challenges here right now. The church was not in, yeah, rah, rah, let's go into building mode. There, there were some foundations. There were some, there were some, just some things we realized people need to be loved, and there was a lot of trust that needed to be rebuilt. And So this was a different mode. It took us a while to adjust, but I realized that uh, we ought not be surprised be not surprised. Is it possible then, just another question, that in the midst of your unexpected, there's actually a God mystery, yes, and we need to under, uh, you know, be good at... What do you do with a God mystery, that mystery element of God? You know, why do bad things happen to good people? You know, why do people get sick? Why do people die? Why do innocent people seem to... All these kind of things. I think we've got to learn to get better at, okay, there's a lot we don't know, and it's okay. You as a Christian, if you're a believer here this morning, I've got some news that's going to shatter you, but you don't know everything. But the pressure is on believers to, you should know. And then you become an adult and a parent, and, uh, and you've got to know everything, apparently. How many of you here with me that, the older you get, the less you think you really do know. Yeah? People come to me now and honestly, if they had to ask me 30 years ago, so what do you do, you know, raising parents or ministry or that? Oh, boy, I could have written books. I said, Look, I, have you got three months? I'll sit down and tell you all the answers. Time goes on. I think it's a releasing thing to get to a point where actually you can say, I don't know. And there's certain mysteries I think we've got to be good at. I'm just going to put that on the shelf. I'm not going to put it in the garbage. I'm going to put it on the shelf because, God, I actually don't know. But I'm okay with that because maybe I'm not meant to know. I'm mortal, I'm limited, and you didn't create me to be the saviour of the world. So I'm going to give you a scripture because you're thinking, who would have thought? Is that actually biblical? It is, okay? And I'm glad you asked. Isaiah chapter 53, it's a powerful prophetic whole um, chapter here, prophesying hundreds of years beforehand that Jesus would come, a Messiah would come, the kind of death he would die from and, and what he would accomplish on the cross for you and I. It's so specific and powerful. 
But in the verse 1, the very first verse of that chapter, listen to what it says in the message. Who believes what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought that God's saving power would look like this? Who would have thought that God's saving power? So here's the issue. It's a specific um, passage that talks about what's going to happen, but it didn't happen the way a lot of people thought. So Jesus eventually does come hundreds of years later. We know that his own people, the Jewish race, struggled. In fact, many of them did not accept him. The Bible says that his own received him not. His own brothers, siblings, his own family, the disciples wrestled. So there was something about the promise that was okay. We're we're all good for the promise, but the way this is unfolded is not as we thought. And so here's... My conundrum. I was going to say ours. In fact, I'm going to say ours. I'm going to assume that you're sort of on the same boat here. And this conundrum sounds like this. It's in the form of a prayer. Lord, here's my prayer, but here's also how I'd like you to answer it and the time frame of when I would like this done. Now, we might not say it out loud, but there's a hidden expectation. God, I thank you. You've given me a promise. Uh, and so I'm going to hang on to that. But I'd really, I, th- this is how I'd like it to work out. I want her, if you were single, you know, to look just like this. By the way, that did work out for me. It, uh, but anyway, and so we put a time frame on it. You know, maybe I'm good at waiting. So maybe in the next few weeks, I'll find that person. I'll find that. And so we, again, set ourselves up for all kinds of responses. And we see it all in scriptures. Some were astonished. By the very same Messiah, the same man, Jesus was walking through these people, with, but with all these responses. Some were disillusioned, some disappointed, some fear, some disbelief, some resented. But there were a whole lot that found joy, incredible peace, and even miracles. Um, I'm, I guess we're here this morning to encourage you, maybe someone, to embrace life and not to fight it. We can get so bitter at life. And the longer you've been around, the more opportunity there is in that sense to start trusting. Just trust God. Um, Stop questioning him. That's a big one. So I want to give you three unexpected expectations. Does that make sense? Good. Can you explain it to me? (laughs) Unexpected expectations. So you're meant to carry expectation, but sometimes unexpected things happen. I want to link these to three really important things that you and I are called to carry and that we actually have. It's a gift. The first one is linked to God's promises. So here's a thought. Who would have thought that God's promises would look like they do, would look like this? There's about 8,000 of them apparently in the Bible. Somebody counted. I didn't. I trust them. There's one there for you today. There's thousands that are available for you and I. The promises of God. I don't think any here this morning would argue that the promises of God are pretty amazing. They're good. And I need to embrace it. But we spoke about Abraham and Sarah and the fact that uh, the promise was clear, but the unfolding of it was what caused the issues and the problems and the frustration. To such a point, even with Abraham... The years are rolling on, so they both conspired and they said, 
Obviously, God is pretty busy at the moment. He's forgotten about this promise. Um, so let's go and find another woman and we'll make this happen, which he did. And had another child. That ended up being the Ishmael. And uh, that ended up causing more pain than they realised. And I think we can all see something in that. When we get frustrated with God, thank you, God. I think I'll take over from here. And we wonder why we see the pain. But anyway, the truth is Abraham remained faithful. And he kept on hanging on to God. And they did have a child, Isaac. And even in that, you could have got disappointed because remember what was his vision? Look up at the stars. Millions. We're going to have millions of kids. I still don't see how that would be a wonderful blessing, having millions of kids when you're almost now approaching 100. Anyway, he... But that was the vision. So it was clear in his head, in their head, that we're going to have lots of offspring. Here's a thought. I wonder if what God gives you and I is not all meant to be unfolded in our life. Some of it, and we think even now we've sort of got the great benefit, you know, you become so, so, I don't even know what a word is for that, getting older, mature. Hindsight. But it's nice to be able to just look back and just think, even some of the things that we believe for, we thought it didn't happen. But can I just add one word to your promise? Simple word, yet. And some people actually see their promises. Uh, uh, sure, God's not going to mess with you and say, look, great promise upon your life. You're never going to see any of it. I don't believe that's the heart of God. You are going to see awesome things. You are going to see marvellous things. You're going to see miracles unfold. You're going to see things happen that you never thought were possible. But could I suggest maybe with some of them, you're not going to see everything because part of it is what will be released through others. It could be your children. It could be those around you. And just because you didn't see all the children in your life like Abraham... He had one son. He had six others to his second wife after Sarah went, but they weren't really going to be a part of this lineage that was part of the promise. But the fact is his descendants did become millions, a nation. So he was called, she was called the father and mother of nations, but they had one son. Surely he could have become a bitter old hundred-year-old that says, you said, but I never saw And yet there were two things, and I want to give you two words, what I believe um, is a great key for us. I I love this. Abraham, we're told, remained faithful. Never underestimate the power of just hanging in there and being faithful. You're not going to hear about that on TV or on the news or on maybe taught in society. Some good people will teach that, but more often than not, it's like it didn't work, give it the flick, move on. Abraham was faithful. I heard a wonderful uh, teacher just uh, only really recently, because I'm back to school teaching at the moment, another who would have thought moments. 30, 40 years ago, I taught for a number of years. We went into ministry, and I thought, I would never go back to teaching. I would never. But anyway, who would have thought? Here I am. I'm back doing some casual, just casual teaching. And, um, And this teacher was telling her story. She did some her first appointment at Blackwater. Anybody been to Blackwater? It's a thriving major city in the middle of Queensland, apparently. I haven't been there. But she was there three years, and she had a a couple of... In fact, she said it was very tough. 
a tough environment to teach. But particularly there was this one little year seven student. Little human beings can cause so much pain and carnage, can't they? And so this little boy was impossible to work with. She tried her hardest to, over that, that period of time, so bad, so naughty was he, he uh, rallied a couple of his mates and they egged her car. I'm not talking about one egg. I'm talking about eggs all over the car. And then they flowered the car. Now, just get the picture. I think you've had scones here. You have? Get the picture of a scone that's been left in the sun for maybe six weeks. It's rock hard. It's, it's horrible. Well, this was her car. And um, so, as a result, he ended up getting six of the best back in the good old days when you got uh, six of the best for being very, very naughty. Uh, the principal stepped in and, 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 and did that for her. And so the years roll on, she moved to another school, in fact, uh, well over a decade passed on, and uh, she's now in another school. She looks at a magazine just on the staff room uh, desk, and she sees on the front page of this magazine a picture of this year seven student, who is now, obviously in his maybe 20s, he could have been 30, it was a long time after, and she said, you've got to be kidding, that's, that's that year seven, that kid that eggshelled my, you know, egged my car. But what really took her by surprise was the caption that went with it, teacher of the year. <laughs> she thought if there was a who would have thought sort of moment, that, uh, and she probably added another few words onto there as well, but she contacted little whatever his name was, and um, she tracked him down, and, and, and she just said, do, do you remember? <laughs> do you remember? He says, yes, I do. I do remember, and I want to thank you for um, just for showing me you inspired me to end up becoming the teacher that I become. And I thought, what a perfect little illustration to remind us that a lot of things, every parent right now can relate to that. You might think you're getting nowhere, you're just turning up, you're doing the same thing over and over, but I tell you, God's watching. And he's doing miracles deep, deep within that little year seven's heart while he's throwing the eggs. Who knows what was going on in his head? Maybe one day I'll be a teacher. Maybe one day I'll get egged just like that. <laughs> Don't underestimate the power of faithfulness. But can I give you another word? Can I give you another word just really quickly because this one's important. Say it quickly so it doesn't hurt. It's not as painful as the word flexible. Abraham was faithful but flexible. If he was that faithful but inflexible, he would have probably thrown the towel in a lot earlier. So can I encourage us all, be flexible. Casual teaching has been great for me. You get plonked in a school. There's your iPad. There's all your classes for today. You find out this about 15 minutes before you um, have to go out and, and start. I thought I was flexible um, until I sort of went back into that environment. And I said, fantastic. I, you, you, you pretend that you're flexible and, and you've got it all under control um, when you, there's nothing in control. And so I, I whispered to one of the kids as I'm going out, can you just tell me where room A7 is? Um, oh, that way over there. Thank you. I knew that. It, uh, and learn to be flexible with the things of God because it, uh, it's, it's going to become an expectation gap in our life if we're always holding on to, yes, God, you did say that. And don't doubt that he said it. He said it. But it's the way he would move and the little, those left field things that occur. And we end up with this tension between what he said and how I think it should outwork. 
I'm going to invite my wife to come on up. Um, I just want to give you the, these last two, though. Who would have thought? So who would have thought God's promises look like this? Who would have thought God's goodness could look like this? The Bible tells us to taste and see that the Lord is good. I think we all understand that God is good and that he means good and that he is with us. We, we get that. But I'll be honest with you, it can be very difficult to see God's goodness when you're walking through. Hi, Dar. This is my wife, Lynn. But, uh, she's, she's amazing. We went through a journey, um, and it was back in 2012, a year before. It was six years ago since we've been here. And um, I think we preached here a few times in 2013, 12 months prior to that, we lost our middle daughter to melanoma cancer. So both daughters got married, and it was a huge, massive time, obviously, for, for us and our family after a five-year journey. And so talking about things that potentially can mess with your theology, half the world were praying. You know, we had friends all around and praying for a miracle. But through it all, um, we can honestly say that God's goodness is always there. It, life doesn't go off and go the way you think. And I'm not saying that God does not heal. In fact, we're probably more committed to seeing God heal now than ever. However, in our circumstance, we lost her. She's in heaven. She's in a great place. They were sharing their story and doing all kinds of wonderful things before she, she went. But nonetheless, we were left. She's okay, but we're the ones left with wrestling with these expectation gap, and that was a big one. And um, his goodness is with you. You know, the previous service, there might, might have been three or four people came up straight at the end of the service and said, I just lost so-and-so. I just have been through that similar circumstance. I just went, and they were so appreciative, not so much of the whatever, but just appreciative of the fact, the reminder, I guess. You know what? doesn't matter what you go through. God's goodness is right there. In fact, most gems are found in the valley, and that almost sounds cliche, but it is true. It's when you're in a rock-bottom valley experience, and some of you may be facing that this morning, and it's really hard to see the goodness of God when it's all dark. But his goodness is still there, and I just want to give you one word, one, one word. I've gone a little bit over time, that... But, um, and it was a picture that God gave me. I think it was for me personally. But I prayed over our whole family with this. And it was, uh, it was only a number of months ago. So this is six years after we'll, we lose our daughter. Been walking through and just endeavouring to, to get on, you know, move forward in life. Um, but it was this picture almost like God just reaching out from heaven. And it wasn't like spooky, uh, vivid. It was just this sense but it was like him putting a new garment upon me. But to do that, he needed to take the old one off. The old one was a, a, a heavy one. And obviously that scripture that is a great scripture in Isaiah 63, I think it is partway through, and it talks about the great exchange. I'm going to give you joy in the morning. You know, I'm going to, But one, one part of it is I, I'm going to give you a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And I find that, that some of us, we don't want to let go of that garment of heaviness because there's a lot attached to that. And if you've got little kids and you need to get them ready in the morning, you can't change their pyjamas unless they put their hands up. And it just gave me this incredible picture of, I get it. I, th I think I get what you're saying is for me to put on a new garment, 
I just need to come back to just being thankful again. Not for what happened, not for the way it happened, but just to be thankful that you are good in spite of what I go through. And to be thankful in spite of what you may see, it sort of positions your hands to be up. And here's the good news. You don't have to even do it. He's there right in front of you right now. And this is literal for some people right now. And he's, he's ready as you just are. I'm just thankful, God. I'm not trying to work it out, but I'm just thankful that you do love me. You are good. Your hands are in the air, figuratively speaking. But it means that he just takes off that garment of heaviness and he puts on a new garment of praise. A new garment that is going to bring a peace again, a new garment that's going to bring back that joy. It took six years. It wasn't that all six years was morbid, but I would, I would say that a lot of it for, for us and our family is just a heavy garment to be wearing. And so I want to encourage you, be willing to allow God to do it. He's, he's actually the one that will do it. Um, and the last thing, and I give you, and then I want to, hand over to my incredible wife who's been probably the source of inspiration for a lot of what we're talking about this morning and who would have thought his promises would look like this his goodness would look like this but his grace would look like this and I think the bottom line for all of us is we need the grace of God continually not just for others but can I just say you need grace for you You need grace for you. Some people are kinder to others, not always, but kinder to others, but they're really harsh on themselves. And I just think that uh, God wants to give you a sense of grace, a little bit like the disciples um, on the eve of his death on the cross. And this was a powerful, I finished with this. This was a powerful moment. Jesus knew he was dying the next day. This is why he came to die for you and I and the disciples. He had them all together. They had a supper, the last Passover. And this is right on the eve. And Jesus teaches them but prays this incredible prayer. It's a prayer that almost sounds like, are you kidding? Would you pray this prayer over these guys? Do you understand over the next day what's going to happen? But this is what he says in his prayer. I'll just give you the last bit. He's speaking to the Father. He said, Father, they belong to you and you've given them to me, Jesus. And they are, listen to this, they are my glory. In other words, another translation, they, I will be glorified in and through them. Now, hang on. This is the same group of men, young men, probably about the age of you guys up here, He's, he's sitting with them. He's saying, You're going to be my, you are my glory. You're going to be glorified. I am going to be glorified through you. And yet within hours, every single one of them fled, betrayed him, denied him. Some of them cursed, pretended they didn't even know him. Within days, they would lock themselves in a room, um, hiding out of fear. And yet we know another couple of weeks on, 50 days after, they'd become extremely influential men. But in that moment, it highlights to me that God evidently looks at you and I a whole lot different to how we look at ourselves. 
Jesus, are you kidding? You're saying these guys, are going, do you know what they're going to do in about three hours' time? They're going to abandon you. He said, you know what? I don't see that. You're seeing things differently. I don't see your failure. I don't see, it's not that I'm pretending it's not there, I just don't see, because one actually is more dependent. I tend to depend upon what I need to do. But the flip side of that is, we need to be more dependent on what he has done. And so Jesus looking at them and saying, I don't see your fears, your failures, your, even your sin. That's why I came. I see you differently. Because I know in the weeks and the months and the time... That's not you. Maybe it's been a while since you actually could breathe those words, I believe. I I believe. Maybe that's difficult to come from your heart, to be honest. But what a powerful thought that is. It's all about what he is saying over you right now. There's no voice of condemnation. No voice of accusation. He sees you so differently. It's like those disciples. He sees you and I so differently. You might see the failure, the fear, the sin, shortcomings. It's not that he doesn't. That's why he came. So he puts that aside and he says, I took that on the cross. I actually see you different. I see you as who you're becoming. I see you in your position in heaven. I see you belonging when you haven't belonged. I see you victorious when you felt like a failure. I see all this in your life that is yet to be realized. So this morning, Father, we thank you for the privilege of just even gathering together, but there may be some here this morning that never in their life have they had the opportunity or a long time to actually say, God, I believe in you. I I trust you with my life. And if that's you, I'm going to say a simple prayer that I want you to be a part of, and you can simply invite him into your life. For the rest of us, maybe it's just been just that grind of that expectation gap, that, even that disappointment. I know what that dark place can look like. The goodness of God can seem so difficult to find, but he is here. He's with you. He's never left. He's closer than you think even when, as Lynn's saying, even when you feel nothing. He is so close. He's a breath away. He'll never leave you and never abandon you. So, Father, right now, I'm just praying on behalf. Together, we're praying to you to come into our life. We invite you back in, Lord, to our life. Lord, we invite you to come and have your way in our life. And, and Lord, we make a bold statement. Here it is. Lord, we choose to believe. That's all you're asking of us is that we would believe in you. We would put our trust in in you. And so this morning we do that. For others, I just pray, let there be an incredible sense of peace. Maybe some that have actually walked through a deep, dark valley in their own life. I thank you, Lord, that there is a new garment that you are bestowing upon them. Even right now, tangibly, Lord, spiritually, within their soul, their emotions, that right now as they posture themselves, lifting their hands, saying, God, I don't understand it, but I thank you but you can take it off and, and you're just positioning it, you're placing upon them uh, that new garment to replace that spirit of heaviness. So Lord, we want to thank you that you are good. Every promise, every blessing in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, K.A.